Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned. Discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit Learner.co. That's Learner with two L's, dot co. Welcome back to the Learner.co show. Today we have Vitaly Golem. He's a partner at Drake Star in the San Francisco office, and he leads the global mobility and energy transition team. Greg and John, what are you guys looking forward to hearing from uh, Vitaly today? Yeah, I'm really interested in uh, in our interview with Vitaly. He's, uh, he's an investor. Uh, he's been an entrepreneur, and he's also a podcast host and, and an author. So I'm interested to hear what he has to say on various topics. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be pretty cool because Vitaly is one of those people who is a truly a lifelong learner. He has started from the bottom and worked his way up in a really indirect path. And I think those kind of stories are super inspiring and super interesting. And so I'm ready to dive in. Very cool. All right. On Good. with the show. Vitaly, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you and, and talk to you again. I think what you are doing in the startup, entrepreneur, electric vehicle, mobility space is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. So I was born in Odessa, Ukraine. It was Soviet Union then. And my cool. family immigrated uh, to, to Silicon Valley, San Francisco first. And then I grew up in Cupertino. Uh, cool. So I've been here since the age of eight in California. Very cool. So you went to university and actually you have quite an extensive education. Do you want to maybe give us a quick overview of that? So um, I was a young self-taught designer. I was, uh, I was in a band when I was a teenager and cool. I designed all of our flyers and, and all of our advertising. And that's how I learned Photoshop Illustrator. And then I, cool. I, I, I faked it. Till I made it, I showed up at Kinko's, got, ended up being hired as a designer at 15. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I was the youngest employee of Kinko's before it was uh, bought by FedEx back in the day. And um, I really got started with that. And uh, by the time I was 18, I was uh, just out of high school. I was working full time in the dot-com days, uh, running a team that was, everybody was about average twice as old as I was. I had no idea, a little mustache <laughs> going on. And <laughs> And at the same time, you know, to please my mother, I finished my degree in computer and video imaging with a minor in digital audio. And that's kind of where it all started. But I really learned business by running companies for a couple of decades now. Very cool. So walk us through your career, maybe some highlights along the way uh, to what you're what you're up till now. So I like to call myself the Benjamin Button of investment banking. All right. <laughs> and uh, what that means is usually you have people that, uh, you know, they'll start in investment banking right out of business school. And then, you know, a decade later, they'll learn how to do deals and 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 start leading uh, transactions. Whereas I, as I, as I just told you, started as a designer, as an entrepreneur, I always had that that bug in me that I probably got from my father, who was always a tinkerer and inventor, an engineer who, uh, you know, became a became an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, I kind of went through that whole process and, you know, uh, one thing led to another and, um, you know, I, I learned business and I, I started my own companies. I, be, I started advising funds and startups a little bit later when I you know, learned the hard way, everything that I know. 
wrote a book that came out uh, a few years ago that's now used by accelerators and business as a uh, as a textbook. And and then I, I actually joined HP after the company split into HP Inc. and Hewlett Packard Enterprise to help launch the corporate venture arm of HP Tech Ventures. And that's really the corporate venture arm of Silicon Valley's original startup. So that's when I got an opportunity to, that, that was really the first time I worked in a large company in an enterprise in a Fortune 100 company in my career. I learned a lot there about, uh, you know, bureaucracy and, and, and corporate politics. Um, <laughs> and then uh, took off and started my own, uh, with a partner, started a, a small investment bank. You know, my, my practice in mobility grew um, quite substantially. And then I decided to, uh, last year, merge my practice with Drakestar, which is, you know, a leading uh, you know, number one cross-border investment bank in U.S. and Europe. Very cool. So what exactly does Drakestar do? So uh, investment banking is is quite different than investing, right? They, they both have the word investing in them. But investment banking, you know, think of us as advisors to companies. Companies retain investment bankers to do a little bit more of a complex financial transaction. It could be a later stage capital raise where it's much more formal. Whereas, you know, in early stage startups, you're talking about, you know, two guys, a dog and an idea, and you're really evaluating the team. When you're talking about growth capital, 50 million, 100 million plus type of uh, raises, it's a much more formal process and you need advisors to help you with that. Uh, and then, of course, M&A, if the company wants to sell itself or if it's a large company looking to buy a startup uh, or a peer or do some other more complex transaction, that's where we come in as advisors. Got it. Okay. So you guys have done... A bunch of really interesting stuff in the autonomy electrical vehicle space. Do you want to talk about that and and what you're kind of seeing and maybe some trends that that you're you've been seeing or, or things that are coming in the space? Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, as a firm, we've done over fifty transactions in the mobility and energy transition category. So what that means is, you know, everything electric autonomous, shared and connected. Also, the energy transition, that's that's what we call charging networks and, and all that infrastructure that needs to go in to support these uh, future electric vehicles and, and beyond, you know, hydrogen, et cetera. So we, we've done some really interesting transactions, um, and I can talk a little bit about some of my favorite clients uh, in sure. the past. I advised uh, a little company from Croatia called Remats Automobili. Okay. Often mispronounced. Um, it is now the company that owns or runs Bugatti in partnership with Porsche. Wow. Um, I've been in the mobility space since before it was cool. Uh, right now, you know, it, it, for the last couple of years, uh, electric vehicles have become kind of a foregone conclusion, and everybody's well, duh. You know, we have to invest in these great companies. But I can tell you, you know, as as, as short time back as maybe three years ago, it was very difficult to fund these companies because they have very high capital requirements. Uh, and it takes billions of dollars to start a new car company. Right. Um, with Remax, uh, we uh, I got to know the team. I met them first when they were eight crazy kids in Croatia in 2012, and they built a prototype, you know, duct tape and toothpicks. They built the first electric hypercar. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then, uh, you know, by the time I got really involved with the team, and I'm still good friends with all of them, uh, in 2015, you know, the company was a couple of hundred people, and we went out and raised the first you know, really substantial round. Um, and that's when Porsche came in later and uh, they got set on the trajectory they're on now. Uh, very cool company, you know, all over, you know, just this month, uh, Rob Report, Wired Covers, you know, very, very hot now, um, but uh, quite different. I, I, on my podcast, I interviewed Mate Rimats, the CEO, and we we're just kind of laughing about how difficult it was now then and, and how much everybody, everybody wants a piece of them now. Um, the other one that's that's really interesting that I've been working with for several years now 
uh, and you'll probably hear some news on at some point soon, is Hyperloop TT, Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. This was the first company uh, organized to commercialize the Hyperloop concept back in 2013, cool. about six weeks after that famous white paper came out. Um, and they ended up completely redoing the technology, doing something brand new there and from scratch. And it took them about six, seven years to build the technology stack. Um, but most people don't realize, you know, Hyperloop is not this like hundred year from now concept, but it's very likely you'll be able to buy a ticket and ride it in about two, three years. I think that's awesome. Personally, like I, like I would, I'm tempted would fly wherever that starts happening and, and just go ride the thing. Like, I think that's probably one of the coolest maybe inventions of my, my lifetime. And maybe, I don't know if people would agree with that or not, but you know, like it seems like such a cool technology. Yeah, I would say that, you know, this is the the biggest thing to come into transportation since the invention of commercial flight in the 30s. Wow. It's a really, really big deal. And I'll give you an example why. Um, you know, first of all, the entire system is covered in photovoltaics. So it's actually um, net positive on the energy. It generates more energy than it uses. That's great. Cool. Right? So that's a big deal. Then you have um, the fact that it's going to be city center to city center. Right. So it's on the ground at airplane speeds at full speed. It's actually faster than commercial air flight wow. because it's at the speed of sound and you can't break the speed of sound with an airplane because you can have a sonic boom over the entirety of the of the path. Right. That's right. We have the, uh, we, we have the old um, um, what's it called? <laughs> the old plane, uh, the cross Atlantic. Oh, the Concorde, the Concorde. There we go. One of those things, you know, doesn't get leaves your mind and you can't find the word. But the Concorde, you know, the reason it could only fly that limited path is because you had the sonic boom, you know, very, very loud. Uh, but you're talking about city center to city center, you know, something like San Francisco to L.A., San Francisco downtown to L.A. downtown in something like 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, which right? is if like I, crazy, right? If I wanted to fly, you know, from San Francisco Bay Area to L.A., the flight's short. It's under an hour. But for me to drive to the airport, for me yeah. to go through security... For me to take the flight, whatever delays, et cetera, you have to load 150 people on the plane and then then you fly to whatever and then you sit, sit around waiting for an Uber to get to where you're going. Door to door, it's you know at least four hours, really. Sure. Uh, whereas we're talking about 30 minutes. So, I mean, that's going to change things fundamentally because you're going to have people that will be able to commute. And really, you know, we have urban sprawl. I was talking to somebody earlier today. So with urban small, we won't be able to get rid of these two car households that uh, that U.S. has kind of spawned from the 1950s because we have, you know, most people live in the suburbs. Yeah. Uh, but we with Hyperloop, those type of transportation modes, we're going to be able to live even further. You're going to be able to commute. Uh, you're going to be able to live in a completely different metropolitan area and commute to work in a completely different city. Right. You know, New York to Boston or, you know, what have you, New York to Washington. So yeah. that's going to open up the world in a, in a new way. Um, and, and everything else is changing too. I mean, we're, we're going to have uh, really interesting things happening in aviation, you know, probably about 10 years from now, things move really slow in aviation, but it's a really exciting time to be, to be in this sector and just to, just to know what's coming down the pipe and how the world's going to change. Sure. So could you, in theory, put Hyperloop like cross continent or like under the ocean somewhere, or is it just not, the technology is not really there. It's not really, doesn't make really any sense to do it like that. The technology is there, but it's not really practical, right? Because you okay. start looking at, you know, cost per mile. Yeah. If you put the, the tubes at the bottom of the ocean, the problem is that, you know, right now the way it's designed for safety is that there's a escape hatch right. every so often, right? You can depressurize and, and escape. But if this thing is at the bottom of the ocean, it's not going to work. 
Yeah, um, it can go, you know, for short, relatively short distances. It can go underwater in a lake. It can go through, you know, tunnel through a through a mountain. Uh, but mostly, it will be on stilts above the surface. Got it. No, that makes sense. So I'm curious to dive a little bit deeper into the book because it's been very successful. But do you want to elaborate what exactly is in the book? What's it called, and what made you actually decide to write it? Yeah, the book is called Accelerated Startup, and uh, very purposefully, you know, it's called Accelerated Startup because, you know, I, I traveled around the world and I've given a lot of speeches and, and workshops and worked with a lot of founders. Everybody has a different accents and the same problems. And these right. first couple of years for startup founders, especially the first time, are really confusing, stressful time. Sure. And it, it could be, a, you know, somebody very young, a teenager that wants to do a startup and, you know, like Shark Tank. Or it could be somebody that just graduated college with a technical degree. Or it could be somebody switching mid-career from the corporate world. You know, startups are really a uh, a pressure cooker and a different kind of uh, environment, no matter what you've done before. So nobody can really prepare you for it. Um, where you, you're going in and it's closer to a science experiment than, than building a business. So I wrote the book because I couldn't find any books that kind of uh, took the whole journey with the founder, you know, there are lots of books on, you know, how to, how to raise capital, how to do, you know, how to build products and test user testing and what have you, all the different bits and pieces. But the idea was kind of this one continuum from idea to product to company and what to do and, and what to emphasize on and where to invest your time and when to, where to not waste time. Um, so it, it's a book that's used uh, by a number of accelerators and business schools as a textbook. Um, and it's, it's not, you know, laid out like a textbook per se, but it's really instructive and it's and it's in order of how the journey really goes. Interesting. One of the things that you cover in the book that I get asked a lot of times, or I think it's really hard to find is like any advice for finding a co-founder and or building out your team? That's a very important thing, right? Uh, building a team and uh, finding co-founders, that's, that's probably, you can argue at the early stages, it's probably the most important thing. Totally. Uh, because it's it's unlikely that you will stumble onto an idea that's that's going to be you know this genius idea that struck you in the shower and then you built it and everybody loves it and great. Totally, it, it really doesn't work that way. You know, you have to iterate and you're going to be on you know iteration number forty. But who's in the trenches with you and uh, their creativity and knowledge to balance out your knowledge? You might be a creative or a business person. You then you need somebody that's more technical or vice versa. You really need to find people that you can work well with together. And when I was on the other side of the table as a VC, I was looking at those team dynamics, especially at the early stages. You're looking at dynamics to make sure that uh, the team has worked together before. Um, you know, it, it's very difficult to find that match if it's two or three co-founders where everybody has the same energy level, the right type of knowledge. They they think about problems the same way. They think about stress the same way. That's a very, very tricky thing. Um, I do go into that a little bit in detail in the book on, and it's actually a kind of first section of the book um, that you're looking at, um, you know, kind of building the team and why it's important and what to look for. Very cool. Any advice for getting into any of the accelerator programs? I know you cover getting into the top accelerators, but I think just getting into one can be tricky. Yeah, I mean, uh, with accelerators, um, I would say it's a... Um, you know, there, there are a lot of different kinds of accelerators, just like universities, right? The first ones were Y Combinator and Techstars. Techstars, I think, officially first. Um, and there's this kind of top tier, the, the Ivy Leagues of the accelerators, where if you get in there, they have 
a well-rehearsed program that will set you up pretty well for success. But uh, there are hundreds of other accelerators that will emphasize different things, and it could be a little bit of a blind leading the blind. My advice is, I mean, certainly if you can get into Y Combinator or Techstars or 500 Startups or 500 Global, they call themselves now, you know, any of these top-tier programs, you'll be well in your way. And you'll be surrounded by experienced people that are going to give you kind of, they're going to help you fill the knowledge gaps that you have. Um, but for most people, if they're going to go through an accelerator, by definition, it'll be kind of a, a lower tier program. And what I like to emphasize is it's very important. They're going to do their diligence on you. They're going to interview you and ask you, you should be doing the same thing. You should be right. talking to founders of startups that went through their programs in previous cohorts. You should uh, think, you know, ask them if they got what they were expecting out of it, um, if the support was there, if it was valuable, and make sure it's also a match. So if you're, I have a company that I advise that's in aviation that's working on hydrogen technology, and they were invited into an accelerator because it's a woman-led startup, uh, but the other companies there are really software, so there's no support network for aviation. And they realize that, that really that's not the right match for them, for example. So it's really important to find that match and make sure that you're not just going through the motions, but if you're going to invest three to six months of your life, give away a bunch of equity that you're getting the right type of help that you need. No, I, I actually think that's that's really great advice. And and some of those accelerators can actually help you get funding, customers. But if people maybe don't go that right a route, do you have any advice for people to get their first customers and maybe some publicity around their startup? I, customers are easy, right? Because you should be working on something that you already understand, or at least did some research. And okay. it's not just, you know, you're not, you know, I, I like to say, if, if, if you go on stage at some kind of pitch competition, and you don't really know your industry and investors in the audience know it better and start asking you technical questions that you can't answer, you're sunk. Okay. So you do need to know what you're talking about, and where you're going. And I would always say, you know, chase customers, not investors. You know, you'll know when it's working, when when you need to raise money. A lot of startup founders get obsessed with, let me go out and pitch and start raising money. But, you know, it, it's it's kind of the opposite of what you should be doing because if the business is working, you know, don't forget that you're trying to build a business. You're trying to prove out a thesis and say, there's money here. Um, if that's working, the investors will come to you, right? You will get right. noted. And publicity, you also have several different audiences that you're playing, right? First of all, you do want to get kind of the echo chamber publicity if you're trying to go raise money, if you're trying to attract great engineers. You do need to build your profile in the startup community. But again, you have also your customers, which will likely not be the startup community unless you're making a startup for startups. right? You want to have a public face and you want to understand how to reach your potential customers, what they want to hear. Um, and, and what the language, you know, what language they speak. Uh, I built a startup in the printing industry. Uh, they don't speak startup. They speak printing right. industry. And the my average customer was a 57-year-old white male with a high school education. That was my customer profile in the U.S. So okay. completely different posture on the marketing side. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious, obviously, you wrote this book and... and you know, I think it's a very good resource and a bunch of accelerators and, and universities and stuff are actually using it in their curriculum. But is there any other books that you would recommend or you've found very useful along your journey? Yeah, I have. Um, I mean, more recently, I I, uh, I read about a book a week. Um, wow. These days. Yeah, audiobooks or, or what have you. And um, and try to really sponge it up. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It's probably about 80% nonfiction, but I, I like to mix in some biographies and and some fiction here and there. Um, 
that just to kind of like cleanse the palate. But sure. I would recommend, and I found myself recommending recently, uh, Reed Hoffman's Blitz Scaling and yeah. Masters of Scale. Very Two cool. great books. Um, you know, there's a lot of startup books out there uh, that that don't that that are very difficult to relate to because these are like multi-billion dollar successes. Uh, so there's a lot of books that are uh, that are difficult to relate to because they are characterizing an experience that most people won't have. But right. when you're talking about books like Blitzscaling or Founders at Work, which is a little bit older, Jessica Livingston wrote that. She was a co-founder with her husband of Y Combinator. Um, you know, you have these real stories and you understand kind of behind the scenes. It's, it's almost biographical of what they went through. And that's, that's a really great way to learn from their experience. Interesting. So you've also are working on a course called Pitching Like a Boss. Do you want to talk about that and what are you covering in that course? Yeah, so sometime next year we're going to launch. Uh, we were, we're going to launch it this fall, but we ended up uh, pushing it out because it's been a very busy year in my day job uh, with the M and A world. Right. Uh, but uh, the course is really it's it's it comes off the book and also a workshop that I've been doing for many many years, and I and I've taught this to I don't know thousands of founders. But it's really a systematic way of laying out and and building the story arc of your pitch to be able to explain the most complex business in a very short period of time and get people's attention and get them to do what you want them to do, that call to action. So we're going to launch a cohort-based online course, which is going to be about five weeks, several different modules where somebody should be able to go through this material and not just watch a YouTube video or get a sample deck out there, but really go through the process in the realistic amount of time that it does take to build a solid pitch and, and really think through all the different parts, which would also help them think through their startup idea. Presumably, you know, if they're just starting on their pitch, they're very early. And as you go through each section, you will start thinking much more about each section and that will help you formulate uh, the business idea more. Very cool. So do you maybe want to dive into some of the topics that you're going to cover in this course? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the most important things, and it's more of like a lens to think about your business, your startup through, is something that um, that my friend and mentor and former investor Dave McClure taught me, which is the customer problem framework. Who's okay. your customer, and what is the problem you're trying to solve for them? There, there's a concept out there that's kind of a more business academic concept of jobs to be done uh, that was studied at uh, Harvard Business School, etc. And it's a really good way of thinking about your product because you have a customer that's hiring your product to solve a particular problem. Oftentimes, you have people who are very technical. They will come up with some invention, and then they're going to try to shoehorn it into a business. It's much easier to find uh, success if you look for a market problem that you can then build a solution for. right? And that's really all what most software is. Sure. And uh, and that's really the right way to think about it. But that's really where we start with this course is kind of thinking through that whole framework and how you're going to position and uh, through that lens your entire business. Uh, there's, of course, um, you know, things like uh, body language. We covered that as well. It's very important. Nonverbal communication is most of what people perceive when we speak to each other. Uh, we don't have video right now, but I am making hand gestures because it's just a habit. Right. Um, and, um, you know, th those kind of things are very important. Also, how to talk about financials, how to talk about the team. When's the right time to bring up these different themes that are very important to kind of frame the business and, and really get that point across. But really, it's an, it's an arc. Right? You're trying to build context throughout the entire process, whether it's a 30-second you know, verbal uh, elevator pitch or if it's a three- to five-minute pitch on stage at a startup competition or that accelerator demo day. 
you're building context and you want them at the end to understand what is it that you're doing? Why is it you're doing it? How big is the market? Is it really working? What kind of what stage are you really at? And really get excited about it to talk to you more about it. No, make, makes a lot of sense. Any advice or tips for pitching remotely? I think a lot of people are probably doing that at this point right now. Yeah, I mean, that that's actually also kind of a bonus section that we're covering, considering that so much of that happens online these days. Who knows how long that's going to continue? I suspect uh, some form will continue for a very long time um, or forever. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's really important to be able to get the, that body language across, that nonverbal communication, uh, even though you're talking to a little camera and you see people on the screen. Um, so standing up and, and presenting for a lot of people moving around gets their brain flowing in a different way. I know for me that works. And when I'm on stage, I, I, I walk around and use that energy to kind of feed what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, it, it's very different when you're sitting down. So I recommend, you know, anybody listening, you know, stand up and, and you know, pick, pick uh, something that you heard about, a piece of news that you heard about this morning and, and start just, just talking about it. Uh, versus sitting down doing the same thing, you'll find that your brain works in a different way. Uh, so that's important, and and also you know dressing up and and you know even though you might be sitting in you know pajamas five minutes before at home, in front of your computer, you should really dress up and and take it seriously. And people do you know whatever little window they see on screen, they will make a judgment call based on your body language, how you look, how you present yourself, uh, your tone of voice, etc. Very important that uh, that you pay extra attention to that because it's such a small little narrow door that you're talking to and they and they see such a small portion of what you really are like interesting so I, i'm sure the behavioral economics stuff that you studied in the past plays into all of this that we've talked about so far but is there any other things that you've learned from that or other experiences that you see uh entrepreneurs do all the time that you'd maybe say like keep doing that or on the flip side of that stuff, you're like, you guys really need to stop doing that. Yeah, I mean, the, the science of behavioral economics is fascinating to me because, you know, you have uh, classical economics where, uh, you know, in the economics world, you'll have people be described as econs and humans. Econs okay. are people who, uh, who follow the rules, who don't have any emotions. And, you know, uh, largely communism and libertarianism are based on the, on, on the expectation that people will will react in you know a certain way uh, or in 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 a way that's economically beneficial to them. But in reality, people react um, emotionally to everything, and uh, you can induce certain emotions. And uh, unfortunately, Facebook and Instagram know exactly what they're doing, and it's not an accident that they build in kind of these gambling mechanics into their applications. Right. Um, Adam Alter's book uh, called Irresistible is a fantastic read. Uh, I highly recommend that you turn on the um, uh, the screen time functions for your kids' iPads and iPhones and keep that to a minimum uh, <laughs> because it really does change the chemistry of the brain. Sure. Uh, but behavioral economics is a really important factor, especially when you're a product designer. You're trying to induce certain habit. Uh, hopefully, you know you're not using this knowledge to to evil uh, for evil purposes but you're trying to get the user or customer to do certain things that are good for them. And, um, and that, that's what you will use behavioral economics for. And that, that's a really important, you know, factor in a lot of consumer applications, but also in the way you present your business, uh, the way you negotiate, um, deals, you know, you really have to think you, you have to understand the human factors in all of this. Interesting. No, I, I think that's, that's really good advice. 
So you also have a podcast. What made you decide to do the podcast and what's it called and about? Uh, the podcast is called Accelerated. And I started during COVID uh, because that was the thing to do. <laughs> um, I, I actually interviewed lots of good friends and talked about very important topics. You know, that was kind awesome. of, if you remember, the mood was very different totally. uh, a year, year and a half ago. And, um, and we talked about both social aspects and we talked about business topics, uh, but, um, and, and kind of news of the day and discuss that. And then we launched a second season of Accelerated this year. Oh, and uh, we focused on the future of mobility, where I interviewed a number of uh, leaders across the mobility space, Mati Rimats, uh, Andres De Leon, um, Hyperloop CEO, you know, lots of other folks like that. Uh, Stefan Kraus, who used to be CEO of Canoe, former CFO of BMW. So uh, folks who just talk about kind of what's happening in mobility uh, and hear it from the leaders who are in it, you know, day in and day out and have been in it for decades. Very cool. Um, any other podcast that you listen to and, and recommend to our listeners as well? Um, I'm a fan of uh, uh, Scott Galloway, so I listen to Pivot and I listen to his podcast. Right, and, and then I, I kind of um, intermingle between podcasts and audiobooks. Okay, so that's, my, that's my listening diet. I would say you know recently a little bit more on the audiobooks because I'm trying to uh, really stick and, and do 52 books this year, one for every ah. week. That's awesome. Um, any tips for basically finding what's next? Because I think that's challenging in itself if you're reading that much content in a year. I mean, look, you know, if you know your history and you're keeping track and, and looking at industries, you will get a better sense for what's coming down the road. Okay. That's for sure. Um, with mobility, I mean, few things surprise me these sure. days. Um, I, I do know what's coming down the pipe. I do know that, uh, I mean, the only thing that surprised me is how gullible people are and think that uh, autonomy is just around the corner. In reality, we're years away. Um, but there are other things happening. You know, there's uh, different battery chemistries that will make um, electric vehicles cheaper, faster charging, etc. Um, you know, there's hydrogen um, that's coming into long distance freight uh, via trucks uh, into air, into aviation. So there's really exciting, cool things coming down the road. And, you know, if you study the industry and you keep in touch and you and you read the news and and see what the companies are developing, you know, those those dots are going to come together. We actually publish a quarterly update on mobility sector. Okay. Kind of most interesting transactions, M&A deals, funding, SPACs, certainly SPAC transactions, taking the companies public. Um, and then we publish a big annual report. The last one was 160 pages, just going wow. kind of exhaustively through everything that's going on out there and who's doing what. So do you want to dive a little bit deeper into what you guys uncovered in that mobility report? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I touched on that a little bit. You know, uh, autonomy is is really much further away than most people um, expect uh, if they're not okay. paying attention, but they're kind of seeing the tweets and what have you um, out there and, and a lot of hype, you know, they'll be disappointed. But uh, the Gartner hype cycle is very much real. There's a lot of hype and then there's there's kind of the, the trough of disillusionment and then we come back with more realistic expectations. Uh, but the other part of it is we have really interesting second order effects happening with uh with a lot of this um you know there's uh it, you know in aviation we're going to see a lot of things coming about as i mentioned um that are very interesting we're going to see you know hyperloop out there in the next half decade that's cool um that you'll be able to ride um there's all sorts of things happening in micro mobility um in electric charging the the infrastructure plan that's making its way through congress very painfully and slowly right now 
that's going to be a huge deal, right? Is is to move our um, our energy production to renewables more uh, to have the infrastructure that will uh, for electric charging that will allow people to not be so worried about um, about range anxiety and actually go in and buy electric vehicles. You know, all those things are really important. You know, two biggest factors in electric vehicles, for example, in adoption are government regulations and government incentives. Right there, you go right. with the again with the with the um, behavioral economics. You know, the incentives are really that that's where it comes from. It's from behavioral economic science to understand. You know, okay, we're going to give you a tax deduction, or we're going to give you a credit, or some other benefit that you can use for. Uh, you know, to, to kind of tip the scales and make you get away from your internal combustion vehicle to electric vehicles. Yeah, no, th that that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's actually quite fascinating. So I'm curious, is there anything that you've learned outside of business that you've been able to apply back into business? And I think one of the best examples you gave is like you taught yourself how to be a designer when you played in a band and then you turned that into a job. Is there any other uh things like that in your life i mean honestly i've changed my career technically several times within you know within my career um okay. found myself you know if you asked me 10 years ago if i'd be an investment banker i'd probably laugh but um <laughs> you know i got attracted to it because i like deal making and that's what it, it, it's really about the soft skills right that that you have um and it's not so much on a technical financial side i have a great team that that will you know produce the valuations to the moon or financial modeling whatever we need but really the emphasis on being able to have that human connection and find a way to come together and find a win-win um so that that's really something that i learned by doing business and by uh you know i never thought of myself as a salesperson until i started building my own businesses and had to be the salesperson and then realize something that many entrepreneurs realize is that the best salesperson is going to be the founder always Right, you're not going to be able to hire some magician that's going to come and sell your product that's not that you're not able to sell. So that's that's something that you know the salesmanship skill, this ability to explain uh, complicated concepts to anybody, to kind of break things down, all those things come together in the ability to get deals done and get people to come together. Interesting, and and you cover sales in the book and the course, but is there any advice you would give to people that are struggling with sales, or how do they get into sales? especially as a founder. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, in sales, um, you know, there are plenty of people that are a lot more technical about it than me, I would say, but okay. you need to be organized, right? You need to understand your conversion ratio. So if you're in, in business to business sales, right? You're selling, you're not, you're not just doing conversion on the website, but you're selling expensive things that, that take a personal touch, a human touch. You know, you need to understand how to generate leads, where to find potential customers, how to qualify them, right? Are they really a potential customer? It's likely that you will only qualify, if you're lucky, 20, 25% of the potential customers out there. And then how do you take them through that journey to actually close them and, and get them to sign up and then get them to be happy and to bring their friends, right? Uh, sure. So it, it's really active listening throughout the whole process. It's um, not, not getting stuck and trying to educate your customer uh, if you find yourself, I've made this mistake before, if you find yourself trying to say, you know, well, they just don't know what's good for them and I need to educate the customer, uh, you're probably in trouble. You're probably overcomplicating things. You really need to listen to your customers. They will tell you what they're willing to buy. So that that's probably my kind of generalized tips. But, uh, you know, there's, there's certain ways of kind of doing this multi-tiered process where you generate leads, qualify leads, um, do the demo, and then work on whatever closing functions to get to the finish line.
Interesting. Is there any tools you recommend for, for some of that stuff? Because it seems like some of this stuff can be automated. Others of it, other parts of it can't be. Uh, there's certainly tools out there that will help with the process, right? So these days, I'm sure everybody you know, listening has experienced this where you go to a website and you give them your email to get a 10% discount. You know, that's pro you're going to probably regret that pretty quickly because mm -hmm. every day you're going to get a reminder email. Uh, this drip marketing that really works for consumers. Sure. Um, but you don't want to necessarily automate, you know, a really human driven process. The more expensive the product, uh, the bigger the decision, the more of a human touch it usually needs. And, um, and you need to be able to, to respond to the customers and, and, and listen to them again, listen, 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 they will tell you what they want. And if somebody is really looking to get into a career of sale, uh, into a sales career and they want the training, go find a company that, that is known for a great sales organization and a great sales training program. All the best sales organizations have training programs, uh, to improve, you know, however talented somebody coming in the door. You can always improve them with the experience, with the frameworks, with the tools that they have developed internally. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. So you've been obviously on kind of all sides of the spectrum. Is there any other advice you would give to people, especially in the space that Drake Star is in, that basically it's long to develop these products and services? Any advice to getting into the space and, and maybe getting investment? Yeah, I mean, just just understand if you're if you're starting a startup and you're kind of making this decision, you know, my, my advice is always really, really, really think about this idea that you're getting into. Right. Uh, it, there, I saw a funny meme the other day that uh, somebody had, um, you know, six different browsers open because they're picking out a sweater and then they just <laughs> randomly pick their career. Uh, that's going to that they're dedicating, you know, years of their non-refundable lifetime and picking a trajectory in their life. If you're making the transition from, you know, a corporate career or you're just out of college and you decide that you're in love with the startup thing, make sure that you spend at least some time researching what you're getting yourself into, the industry, the opportunity. Make sure that everything's aligned before you pull the trigger and go uh, because you're dedicating your life. It's non-refundable lifetime. It takes a year to build any kind of prototype. It takes two years to really figure out if anybody cares what you build. It takes, you know, if you're successful, it's going to take, you know, three to five years of your life. Well, if you're not successful, it may take three to five years of your life. If you're sure. successful, it's going to take even longer. You know, all of a sudden you start at 22, you're going to turn around and be like, oh, wow, I'm 30. What do I have to show for this for these last eight years that I've been working? You know, maybe mom was right. Maybe I should just go get a nice job, you know, a good job. So very important, you know, yeah. my advice is just just really be careful and and really present of mind when you're thinking about that you're going to dive into this kind of new career. Interesting. What are your thoughts on pushing through and how have you in the past or how do you help the companies you've worked with in the past push through the low points? Because that can be really challenging to not give up at any point during that three, five plus years that you're grinding it out. Yeah, you will find that every successful founder will tell you that the number one trait that uh, that is kind of consistent throughout is perseverance. It's it's very rare for something just to be like up and to the right, you know, you tap right into the vein of whatever you're trying to do and it's, you know, overnight success. Usually overnight successes are years and years in the making. Sure. And they're usually a lot of, you know, you're going to get more no's than yeses. You're going to get a lot of setbacks. You need to be able to persevere through that. But at the same time, you also need to know, you know, it, it's a really fine line between pushing through the, the naysayers and being counterintuitive 
right? The biggest companies, uh, the biggest, most successful companies were kind of counterintuitive ideas to begin with. That's why they were the only game in town. But you right. also have to be counterintuitive and right. You know, yeah. if you're just beating your head against the wall for years and the market's telling you this is stupid and you're getting no traction, you also need to know when to quit and when to save that non-refundable lifetime and go do your next idea. Interesting. And it's also interesting you said go do your next idea because I think some people just can't, like they're willing to pivot until they hopefully hit something and become successful, right? Yeah, I mean, you can, oftentimes you can pivot your idea into, into success. And most times, you know, you will have 40, 50 different iterations until you get this from, go from this raw concept and thesis to a final product that has happy customers. You're going to be iterating a lot of the nuance there. But sometimes you get into a business that's, for example, shrinking, right? right? And if that whole industry is huge, but it's shrinking, that means that you have to, for every customer you're going to get, you have to fight a more established company with a brand, with trust, with money, uh, and you have to take customers away from them. If you're getting into a fast growing industry, and this is why VCs will track trends, you know, that's growing 50% a year on its own, you have an equal chance or better than equal chance with a, with a large established business that was doing it the old way, per se, uh, to get those customers. So it's really important to understand what sandbox you're playing in. And if you're really beating your head against the wall, or there's some opportunity there that you're chasing and you will figure out a way to get there. Interesting. Any advice or thoughts around sticking with your kind of roadmap compared to feature requests from current customers and requests from potential customers? I would say, yeah, this is this is actually a, a really interesting um, quicksand kind of situation. If you listen to your customers too much, you're going to become a services company. You're going to become right. a consulting company. You're going to customize for every customer. You do need to synthesize the feedback from multiple customers and see which direction you should be taking. But you should be thinking about every feature, not just for that one particular customer. Oh, well, if we do this, every sales guy is going to come to you and say, hey, if we add this feature, I'm going to sign up this customer. And you have right. to resist that urge because you know, that's going to set you back. You need to have a clear uh, path that you're going on and consider this feedback in the next iteration, but you have to have a product roadmap that's really independent of any one particular customer. And it should be kind of a good idea for everybody. There's a really good story um, in uh, Masters of Scale, actually, Reed Hoffman's book, uh, with a team from Airbnb. And by the way, this one I really recommend as an audio book because they record the interviews with the Very founders. Cool. Uh, so you get to hear their voice uh, rather than somebody reading it. That's and cool. um, and they talk about, you know, they they went and they took photos. They offered photography. They, they realized that professional photos were a blocker for a lot of their early hosts. So they went and offered to do that. And it was actually the founding team going out there on location and shooting those pictures cool. for those hosts. But while they were there, they were asking, hey, you know, is there anything that we can improve in the system? And they have one guy that, you know, very early host that gave them like a long, long list of a document of how to improve the product. So Amazing. first of all, they realized that they were onto something if they have so much passion in somebody in their community, you know, customer or, or vendor, however you want to think about a host. Um, but also they took that feedback and they synthesized it with others feedback to, to figure out, okay, which direction should we push this? So that's that's really uh, that's really kind of the right way to think about it. Is you kind of you listen to your customers, but you synthesize the feedback. You don't become a consulting company because otherwise it's going to completely slow you down. Sure. Well, and it also makes it really hard to raise more money around, right? And keep up your product. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, it's very difficult to fund a, you know, if, if, if you're saying, oh, well, you know, we're, we're getting all the services revenue, we're customizing for every customer and we're 80% of our revenue is from, you know, hourly fees. Well, congratulations, you start a consulting company and no VCs are going to fu uh, fund that. On the other hand, you know, you have to balance it with this idea uh, that at first you're going to be doing a lot of things manually, right? To make sure that that's the right approach, that's the right model. Right. And then you're going to automate those things with time. So it's it's a balance of, okay, am I doing this repetitive thing? Am I onboarding customers in a certain way? We're doing certain things that we're doing manually. Well, okay, great. So that's, you know, we figure out that's the way to do it. That means let's start automating that and reducing the cost of that particular function or or process within our within our product. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how will we close with mentioning where people can get more information about Drake Star, the book, the course, the podcast, and any other links you want to mention? Sure, sure. You can learn about Drake Star, drakestar.com. Um, you can find lots of content from us on LinkedIn, uh, a little bit on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on my personal website, golem.net. And that really covers pretty much everything, uh, everything that I do. Um, the book is on Amazon. Uh, it's called Accelerated Startup. There's an audio book. There's a hardcover, softcover, whatever flavor, uh, ebook as well uh, that you like and um and it's translated into a couple of different languages um although you probably won't find those on amazon <laughs> very cool well i really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show and i look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day thanks kevin always a pleasure to be on your shows perfect thank you okay bye well john and greg what did you guys think of that vitaly delivered that was awesome it was super cool. I've got some some definite uh, books to add to my reading list after this. The um, what was it? Jessica Livingston, Founders at Work. That was it. You know, as he was talking about behavioral economics, which I was super excited that he was into behavior, behavioral economics because I love that stuff. Um, but talking also then about like how um, you know Facebook and you know the social media sites out there they that they. They know so much of what we're, what's in our mind and our emotions around that. Um, Adam Alter's yeah. book, Irresistible, seems like such an interesting read. So yeah, I, I want to grab that one and dive in. John, you? Yeah, that was a great wide ranging interview that did not disappoint. Like you said, behavioral economics and then his views on how uh, mobility will change. That was fascinating how as new technologies and mobility come up, it's going to change where we live, where we work, um, how we look at um, every the way we set up uh, cities. I found that fascinating. And I might not do any uh, pitches in my pajamas anymore. That's another thing, another good takeaway. <laughs> and uh, I'm also going to check out his podcast, the Accelerated Podcast. I Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Well, thanks for listening and uh, check us out uh, next week. Thank you for tuning in to the learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app or want to get in touch, please visit learner with two L's at www.lleaarner.co. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.